Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. I've enjoyed the the book of Ruth. Have you enjoyed it? Me too. There's some great lessons in this book. Probably, I thought the other day, probably you need to start over again and go back through it because there's so much here to hit on. And so we will do our best to deal with chapter 4. Verse 1. Now, you remember who Boaz is? Boaz is the second closest family redeemer. He's the one that had the land that Ruth went out to work in. It just happened to be Boaz's land. And he has been gracious to Ruth. He has been taking care of Ruth. And in chapter 3, you had that situation on the threshing floor. And we see that Boaz is interested in Ruth, and Ruth is interested in Boaz. And the romantic, the romantic, is that how you say that? Romanticism is beginning to percolate a little bit, but there's an important hurdle that you got to deal with, and Boaz is willing to deal with that hurdle. And I think it speaks clearly about Boaz in verse 1 when it says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. I love that. I think that's honestly some of the most profound words in the Bible. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. I love to go take a seat somewhere. I love to go take a seat. To go take a seat and just wait for the Lord to show up. Just wait for the Lord to do something. And Boaz just simply went to the town gate and he took a seat. There's business to be done. But Boaz is not trying to force anything. He's not trying to manipulate anything. He is just on the mission of the Lord. And it's very much like Genesis chapter 24 when you see Abraham's servant going to find a, a, a wife for Isaac. He travels all the way from Beersheba area all the way to the Ur of the Chaldees, which is Kuwait today in southern Iraq. And he just, that's a long journey. That's across the Arabian desert. It's a difficult journey. And, and he just goes. And he's, he's just going and taking a seat and waiting for the Lord to see what to do. He's given the, the, the assignment by Abraham. He's also not given the responsibility for the outcome. Now, there's nothing better than an assignment that you're not responsible for the outcome. We have that assignment in the Lord Jesus we have been given an assignment that we're not responsible for the outcome. He's responsible for the outcome. We go take a seat and see what he does. That's what Abraham's servant did. He just went out there to the early Chaldees to go and find the wife of Rachel, but, but it wasn't his responsibility to bring back a wife. The only thing that he was under, the only responsibility he had is that he would never take Isaac back to the early Chaldees. He, that's no problem. I can do that. I'm not going to carry Isaac back there. Whatever you want, Abraham, you're my master. That's what I'm going to do. And, and that's, that's the kind of relationship we need to have with the Lord. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's God of all. We're servants. We are servants. I'm not responsible for anyone to receive Christ. I'm not responsible for anyone to grow spiritually. I'm not responsible I, 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 for their growth. I'm responsible to sit and wait for the Lord to work and do my assignment. My assignment is to teach, preach, and pray, and get out of the way. That's my assignment. That's what the Lord has asked me to do. And so Boaz is simply doing his assignment. 
He went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned, this is the family redeemer that's closest to the family of Elimech, and he just happens to walk on by. There you go. He took a seat. The Lord sends him by. And Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, my friend. Come on over here. We got to have a talk. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, you, you, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. Now, does Boaz want this guy to redeem it? No. But he has the right. He has first refusal. And Boab is going to honor that. And so he says that if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. I can make money off that land. That can help me out. Then Boaz told him, Boaz is not tricking him. Boaz is just simply laying it out. Of course, your purchase of the land, based on Leviticus 25, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the first, the closest redeemer says. I can't do it. And the reason he gives is, he says, because this might endanger my own estate, you redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now, he was not being, he was not rejecting Naomi, I mean Ruth. He was just rejecting another family member. He was rejecting the situation. She was going to be cared for because Boaz had already stated, I'm willing to make this transaction. I, I, it's just your right to make it first. And I'm giving you that opportunity, if you so choose, to take on the responsibility of the land and of Ruth. But he couldn't do it because he has his own family. And he's thinking about, oh, man, you know, the inheritance down the road, it gets messy. That land's not that big a deal to me. I sure don't want the mess of the inheritance of Ruth, about dividing up, splitting it up. And, and so, now you go ahead, Boaz. I just can't do it. Now, verse 7. This is pretty cool. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. That's pretty neat. We, so next time you go make a deal at the bank or make a deal with another company or a deal... Take off your boot and go, here you go. This publicly validated the, the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Look in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, it wasn't just the elders, it was also the crowd that had come around. You are witnesses today. I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimech, Kilian, and Malan, and with the land, I have acquired Ruth. No misunderstanding. 
and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malan, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are witnesses of this today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah. You know what they're saying? May she have kids. Rachel had kids. Leah had kids. It's important for the family lineage for them to have kids, and that's what they're saying. May they have kids. May she be like Rachel and Leah. The next time you go to a wedding, and when the preacher says, by the virtue invested in me as a minister of the gospel in accordance with the laws of the great state of Texas, I now pronounce you man and wife, just stand up and shout out, may she have kids like Rachel and Leah. Now, there's two things that can happen. One, people might celebrate. In other words, you might not get invited to many weddings, which is not a bad deal from where I sit. Woo! Lord have mercy. Now, young ladies, let me tell you something. All these weddings in foreign venues, like 30, 40, 50, 60 miles away, because it's cute, it ain't cute for me, nor your Uncle Ed, nor your cousin. So just think about that when you find that nice little barn out there in the middle of nowhere. There's barns all around Parker County. And you can rent one of them, get you a shovel, and clean it up, have your wedding there. But I think you should cry out, May she be like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. My goodness, if, if, if she, Ruth is famous in Bethlehem. She is famous there. That, that, that came true. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Ooh. May the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, who is the son of Tamar and Judah. You know the story of Tamar and Judah? It's not something you speak about at a family reunion. It's not. It's not something to really be proud of. I mean, the... People of God, people just like you and me, we're, we're really some messed up people. I don't know how many times someone says, well, the, the reason I don't become a Christian is because, man, I see Christianity as a crutch to lean on to. Absolutely, it's a crutch to lean on because we're the sick people. We're the people with issues. What issues you got? I got issues. You got issues? I got issues. I am not perfect. I, 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 it, the perfection is not even a possibility. I'm a glutton. I don't think well. I struggle. I have issues. I, today, I had two experiences where people look at me having a conversation. I don't know what to say. I'm very awkward, which I know that's hard for you to believe, that I would be awkward. In, in, but, you know, 
for me, the way it's going, if I don't have nothing to say, I don't really want to say anything. And I didn't have anything to say. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've come to church today. I hope you're blessed beyond socks. And if I have something to say, I'll sure talk to you about it. But at that time, I was thinking about going to the bathroom, and I was thinking about getting my notes, and I was thinking about something else, and, and I'm just awkward. And one dear, sweet couple said, I said, man, I'm just really awkward. I'm sorry. And she said, I'm awkward too. It's all right. Hallelujah. We're all a bunch of messed up people. And Jesus said, you know, I didn't come for people who don't need a doctor. I came for the people who are sick and need a doctor. That's the God's people. Now, Tamar, she was married to Judah's boy. He died. The next one was in line to marry her, family redeemer. He died. And then she's in line for the youngest one, for the next one down the road. And, and Judah begins to think about it. And Judah says, I'm tired of my boys dying. And I think he thought Tamar was jinxed or something. And he said, you know, she's got to wait for this boy to grow up and marry her and all kind of things. And, and Tamar obviously saw that she was in a bad way because of the situation of being a lady in that world, being a wife in that world, not having a husband, not being able to care for yourself, not being able to have the property, not, not being able to survive. And so she dressed up like a prostitute, and she disguised herself, and she tricked Judah, and Judah had mm -hmm, relations with her, and she had a child, and that's in the family line of Jesus. Jesus' family line, the perfect one, the one that never sinned, the Savior of the world, he has got some messed up people in his family tree. Messed up people. I rejoice over messed up people. I mean, Tamar, what the? Judah, dude, have some, have some decency about yourself, bud. But that's what happened. May she be like the son of Tamar and Judah. Some lessons from these first 12 verses. Number one, this is a great lesson for you. Think about this. This is a lesson you can apply. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz had no idea that in their difficulties, in their hurt, in their grief, in their hunger, in their life pain, in the pain to grind through life. And all of us have got that kind of stuff going on. We've got hurt, we've got grief, we lose loved ones, we have hunger, we have life stress, we have difficult things going on, and during their hard times in life, God was orchestrating a blessing for not just them, but the whole world. What a deal that is. Naomi didn't know, Ruth didn't know, Boaz didn't know what God was up to. They just going through life, doing what they do. And all that time, God was allowing those things to take place. Hurt, pain, agony, grief, difficulty for a purpose that was beyond them. And I believe with all my heart, that is the same for you and me today. Claim it, believe it, trust it, get a hold of it. And just acknowledge it. I may be going through pain today. I may be going through a famine I may go, be going through some hard times. I'm going through some, some grief here today, but 
the Lord's at work, just like he was at work for Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, and the rest of the folks. Second lesson we have here is, oh, Boaz. Boaz went about this in the right way. And that's really, really important for us in the kingdom of God. God wants us to go about things in the right way. It was the right way for Boaz to go sit down. <laughs> I don't know if you can try that on your boss tomorrow, but give it a shot. Why are you sitting down, not working? Boaz, <laughs> Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, I'm sitting down waiting for the Lord to work. Boaz just went and sat down at the city gate. At the city gate. He didn't try to pull a shenanigan. He didn't try to manipulate anything. He just went there and he said, when the closest redeemer comes by, he said, Hey, come on and have your seat, man. We got to talk. We got business to trans transact here. I got to make you, I got to talk with you a little bit. El you older folks, you elders, y'all come over and sit down. Witnesses gathered around. He did it out there in the open, did it the right way. He just said, Interested in Emelik's land? Yeah, I'm interested in that land. All right, now, you understand that if you get the land, you got to get Ruth too? I'm willing to have Ruth myself, but I just want to see, you know, you have first choice here. I mean, he goes about it the right way. He did not take matters into his own hands. He was waiting for the Lord to work. He did not get in the Lord's way. Two wonderful lessons for us to learn in life, in decisions, in conflict, in problems. Don't take matters into your own hands. Leave room for the work of the Lord. Do not get in the Lord's way. Let the Lord do it. Sit down and let the Lord do it. Sit down and state your case and let the Lord do it. He didn't try to, you know, maneuver these people, this guy. He didn't try to outfox him. He didn't he didn't try to manipulate him. He just simply laid it out there and gave the man the opportunity to make his decision. And so Boaz is just trusting the Lord. And then you have the lesson in verses 1 through 12. You got this city gate business. The city gate, with a walled city, you got a city gate. Everyone passes through the city gate. That's why in the Galilean weddings, it always took place at the city gate. Because when you married someone, it was telling everybody he and she are off limits. Everybody knows that because they got married at the city gate. And everyone that's there sees it happen. And then they leave and they tell everybody, I saw Henry and June get married. Ward Cleaver got married at the city gate. The city gate business means no misunderstandings. The city gate. The city gate means open to accountability in the decisions that are made. Boy, isn't that really important? Wouldn't that really help our culture a lot? If people were open to accountability, man, you can you imagine how that would be? All the distrust we have today with government. They need to go to the city gate and talk. Don't go in the back room where we can't hear it. Be out front where all can hear it. Let everybody know how big of a a greedy scoundrel you are. Everything was on the table. Everything is on the table here. Everyone knows Boaz is interested in the land and Ruth. 
everyone understood. No one walked away thinking that that closest redeemer, you know, was, was duped somehow or another. No, 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 no. Someone might hear about that and say, man, I heard the closest redeemer didn't get the land. What's that about? Well, the reason he didn't get the land is because he wasn't willing to take Ruth. And you know, it's in our family redeemer information in Leviticus chapter 25. Oh, misunderstood. Misunderstood that. All right. Everything's on the table. No misunderstandings. It's never good when things are in secret. It's never good when things are in secret. You got a problem in your family? Get it on the table. Talk it out. Talk through it. Let everybody know what's taking place. Let everybody know. A few weeks back, I have a, I think a, it's time for you to make this commitment to, your, to you again, so I'll make, because it's a city gate commitment. It's out in the open. Uh, a few weeks back, a guest in our church, uh, he wanted to talk with me, and I got the chance to talk with him, and his question was, how does the church fire you? Hmm. All right, then. Now, right away, my assumption went to the fact that he probably had been in a church and they tried to fire a guy, and it may not have been written down about exactly how to fire him, and they got problems over it. And I think he wanted to know. And I said, oh, you don't need to worry about that in our church, because I've done spoke up at the city gate. And he went, you know, I said, he's bewildered. Okay. So I told him, here's the deal. I have an agreement with our elders, and I have an agreement with you. Here's the agreement. If they ever come to the place where they think Mad Cow is one and it's taken over and I need to move along and do my thing. It will be smooth as silk. They won't have to vote on it. If they all come to me and they say, Lee, it's time for you to move along, okay? They're not going to bring it to you to vote on it. I'm just going to, as smooth as silk, slip away. There will be no politicking on my behalf. There will be no maneuvering. I will not be rallying any supporters that I might have to try to go. Go talk to the elders and see if you could keep me a little longer. I mean, my taxes and, you know, we elected Joe Biden and my retirement plan has gone to crud and, and I ain't got any money and what am I going to do? None of that's going to take place. Just as smooth as silk. Because I've seen it happen, and I, I don't want nothing to do with that. And so the elders can serve without ever wondering about that. You don't have to ever wonder about it. You're never going to have to make a decision whether or not it's time for me to go. And it's just going to be a beautiful thing. We're at the city gate. Everybody knows that. Now, if, if that time comes, and I don't see it, and I'm fighting it, and I'm getting old, and and, 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 you know, and I want to stay longer and just, you know, because I love what I do and all those kind of things. I'm sure I would have the very best of intentions. And, and I fight it. Every single one of you are going to go, wait a minute, dude. You told us that you weren't going to fight that thing. You're right. So that's accountability. That's the city gate situation that we have here today. That's the way it works. And so, try it. Try it. 
Try it in marriage. You need to be married at the city gate. You need to be married in a place where everybody can come. Open with your faults. Try it. Be open with your faults at the city gate. And open with your struggles at the city gate. It's better for everyone. It's better for you. It's better for others. And, and that's what we see Boaz doing. So the city gate lesson is here. Now, let's move along. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. Ah, isn't that beautiful? When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. She's like Rachel and Leah. That way, go, Ruth. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. Oh, my. Are they not famous in Israel? Are they not famous in Bethlehem? And so they're Bethlehem famous and they're Israel famous. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Them sons are not good to their moms. No, that's not what it's saying that she's better to her than seven sons would be because seven sons, they go and do their own thing and the girls always stay close. That's just the way it is. And that's the reference that they're making there. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Whoa. Now, think about all God did to bring that about. Man, you don't think God is God? How in the world did he do that? How in the world did, did men do that? How did you make it so that, that it would be David instead of one of his older brothers? How, how in the world can you orchestrate it that the closest redeemer wouldn't marry Ruth and you wouldn't have had Obed? How in the world? How in the world could man have done that? God did that. God did that. God brought them from Moab and put them in the right place at the right time for everything to work out. And God allowed people to do their people things. And God still worked it out. I mean, God is God because of this wonderful creation he's given, but God is God because God works through people. And that may be the greatest miracle there is, that God works through the foolishness of people. I mean, that ought to make your skin crawl right there. Obed, Jesse, and David. David was born in Bethlehem. He is famous there. Jesus, in the family line of King David, the son of David, the king of Israel, like David, was born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus. 
I mean, it just, it's an amazing story to think about that. They named that old boy Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David, who became the king of Israel, and whom through all the world is blessed. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 1 today and look at the genealogy of Jesus, Abraham, then you go down to David, then you go down to Joseph, and you have Jesus. God told Abraham that through you, Abraham, all the world would be blessed. There's some work that's got to be done there, and this is one of the fantastic pieces of work that was put together. So in verse 18, this is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Why is that such a big deal? That's such a big deal because in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. You see, God did all that to get to a place where Jesus could come to the world and say, I tell you the truth. If you listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, it had to be positioned so that there would be that time that Jesus would come into the world, that the Father would send him. Why did he send him? Of course, he sent him to do the wonderful work of redemption for all of us. That's why he sent him. Who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned of their sins. Oh, my goodness. Think about that for a moment. From the foundation of the world, God orchestrated it so that it would be Obed, Jesse, and David, so that you and I, by hearing the good news about Jesus, can believe in the good news about Jesus, that we will not be condemned for our sins. My sins are many. Your sins are many. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't work hard enough. I can't measure up. If it was that we could be better than we've ever been and be better than most, I fail. I have no hope. But because Jesus came into the world and paid the price for my sins, and I heard the message, and I believe that good news, I am never, ever going to be condemned for my sins. And if you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned for your sins. Man, think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. You are never condemned for your sins if you have heard that message here and believed it. If you believed in the good news, that's what Jesus said. And the reason he gives for it is because they have already passed from death into life already passed, already passed. It's already happened. It's past tense. In God's eyes, you have been justified, you have been sanctified, and you have already been glorified because of who he is. Because Obed, Jesse, David were some of the pieces to the whole part that allows us to be forgiven of all of our sins.
and have eternal life. Amen? Amen? You know, you ought to be rolling by now. That was good information, wasn't it? I didn't invent any of that. You know that, right? I did, that's, that's not my words. I just simply said what it says. That's all I did. I asked the Lord, Lord, show me what to say about Ruth chapter 4. I done done it. I said it. The Holy Spirit is at work. Will you respond? Have you believed the message of the good news? Have you believed? I mean, do you know that your sins will, will never, ever condemn you? Do you know that you've already crossed over from death to life? God has worked an unbelievable miracle to give us Jesus so we can be saved. So we can be saved. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us, that teaches us, that helps us understand how important it is that we're forgiven of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for working in the lives of, of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and all the people. I just, I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, that first Redeemer walked away. Thank you that that man walked away and allowed Boaz to be positioned right where you want him to be to bring about for us Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward.